Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Hello and welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. This episode is a really special one. Not only are we on episode 100, so thank you so much for tuning in for this long, but we're also tuning in to one of my most exciting, fascinating guests so far, Zoe Blasky. Now, Zoe has been my coach and has helped me in my own motherhood journey, but I really wanted to invite her on to think about perfectionism and recovery. So today we're going to talk about some deep, personal topics to Zoe, but also understanding how you can apply them to yourself. This is a no-fluff, no-nonsense episode where we think about generational trauma patterns and how you can become aware of and notice, rather than getting rid of, some of these patterns you may have inherited from your parents. We talk about how it's not your fault that you were given this hand, almost like you inherited a blueprint, but it's your responsibility to notice and become aware of it. And we do so compassionately. We don't do so with shame and self-criticism because there is no growth in that. So in this episode, you're going to hear a bit more about how Zoe chooses a daily practice how she has to keep working on her recovery. That is not something that you do once and for all and then you're done with it, but more about noticing which thought comes up first and then noticing the second thought that can be more helpful, more kind and more compassionate. This episode isn't just about parenting, but we do cover a lot about motherhood in it. If you're not yet a parent, but you get really caught up in these cycles of perfectionistic behaviour, this episode is still for you. And you might be surprised to also hear that we give you a bit of a permission to let go of that pressure around having perfect kids or perfect parenting. Actually, we acknowledge that we probably are going to mess up our kids. You know, I think we all do. This is what Zoe talks about in this episode, that when we come to that realization, we can then choose and have helpful, positive intentions of how we want to parent but we can't have that idea or the notion that we're going to do it perfectly. Actually, if anything, it does our children a disservice. So let's introduce my guest, Zoe Blasky. Zoe Blasky is a qualified transformational and executive coach specializing in working with parents, and she's the founder of Motherkind, a personal development platform for parents. Zoe has coached hundreds of parents of all backgrounds on how to navigate the huge challenges of modern parenthood. Zoe hosts the Motherkind podcast, which is the UK's number one family podcast on iTunes, and she's been featured in Red, The Telegraph, Psychologies, Goop, Sherlux, and Mother and Baby. Zoe has delivered talks and workshops to some of the UK's leading businesses, including ClearScore, BT, Sky, and BBC. Zoe has two daughters and lives with her husband Guy by the sea in Dorset. So let's jump into this really deep, really important conversation. Well, welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Zoe. It's such an honour to have you here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. 
Well, for those who uh, people are listening today, also know that I've been doing your group coaching program, which has been fantastic. Yeah. So I'm sure we're going to drop that into our conversation a bit today for anyone who's not yet familiar with your work around Motherkind. But let's just think about that first. Why did you create Motherkind? I mean, there's a sort of really long story and a really short story. So I'll tell the short story and then we'll probably touch on the the sort of further depth context as we go through. But essentially, when I became a mum, I I found it really, really hard. I often say it almost broke me. And I was looking for ways to put those pieces back together. And I just wasn't finding the type of content that I wanted to consume because I was sober. I was in recovery. I was really into meditation and coaching and really wanted to find some content that put those two things together, my experience of motherhood and my experience of me as someone who's got loads of self-defeating tendencies, essentially. And I wanted to understand, okay, why is why is my experience of motherhood so challenging and what is going on here? But everywhere that I looked online was just telling me like what dr- gin was going to help with the overwhelm. And I was like, well, that, I, I don't drink, that's not going to help. Or, um, you know, what to wear. And I was like, well, that's not really going to help me. Or what pram to buy. Or it seemed very external, a lot of the content around motherhood, as in what we look like, what we do for our living, what our children look like, what kit we buy them. And some of that was useful, but that isn't my passion. My passion is all inner experience. So I started consuming loads of content from America, basically, because I feel like they're often a little bit ahead of us in terms of the way that they think about some things like this. So yeah, and I found a couple of podcasts there and a couple of people there that were really speaking to me, but nothing really in the UK. It was really different. This was six years ago. Um, Now, gratefully, there's people like you and there's loads of other people talking brilliantly in this space, but there wasn't back then. So yeah, my friend suggested that I could give it a go and start a podcast. And it sounded like such a mad idea because I'd never even interviewed anyone. I was like, had no tech experience at all. I had no platform. I don't think I even had an Instagram account. I was like, not, you know, you know, there's people that launch a podcast and it feels like a total natural thing for them to do. That wasn't me, but I, I did it. And yeah, and now we're about to celebrate our 200th episode. So there's a lot more to the story, but essentially that is why I started it. I was craving conversations that I couldn't find. So I decided to start them myself. Mm. Because obviously I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while and a lot of people who are listening to my pod would also be finding your content really engaging because of the things you talk about around perfectionism as well. So we're going to, I'm going to sort of pick out some of the things you just mentioned there in your story of how this journey has been for you. But I guess one of the things that stands out to me is something I've heard from almost every single guest on the show so far connected to purpose is that there's been an, an element of suffering. That in order to connect with what's been really important to us, what's really matters to us, the stuff that we do that we are passionate about, there's usually pain and suffering first. That there was your experience of kind of crashing into motherhood is also what guided you into doing the thing that you're now passionate about. I wonder if you have any comments on, around that. I think that's true. I think there's a model that I really like, which is that you hurt and it just seems to be the way that it goes. And then you heal. So you get yourself some help, which is what I did and support. And I just basically 
dove into the concept of motherhood and generational trauma and became almost like an expert in it really I probably should have done a master's the amount of reading and studying that I did and then you and then you help so you hurt you heal and you help and I think I've just kept going around that cycle you know as 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 my journey of motherhood and life has has evolved and more challenges have come my way I've been hurting I've gone off I've found someone I've done something I've healed it and then I've shared it I've helped and I think that can happen on really big ways, um, like starting a podcast or on really tiny ways, really tiny ways that people who, you know, don't want to do this sort of thing for their living or purpose um, can, can do. So I think I think that three H's is is really powerful. And I think you're right. I've never come across anyone who lives on purpose without there being some inflection point of pain Mm. and suffering and i think that's just how it is pain and suffering seem to be the gateway for deeper purpose and and a and a depth i think we can't access if we don't have that i read once that often buddhist monks will seek out pain because they know that that is what helps them to access that deeper level within themselves and i think it's so easy, isn't it, to, to wish for a life without challenge and to wish for a life without problems. And in a way, I think so many of us are seeking that. I know I am. I'm like, I just want it all to be easy. But the reality is, is that it's the problems and the challenges that actually enable me to face myself and to develop qualities that I never would get to develop without challenge. It's just so counterintuitive. <laughs> Mm, <laughs> it's so it counterintuitive is. because because we 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 want ease of course we do we want it to be easy but i think it's true that you know an easy life is a hard life to some extent i think hard choices facing challenges is what gives you an easier life it's the other way around mm. yeah lots to say on that idea <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just my my cogwheels are turning because this is a concept that comes up a lot uh, in obviously in psychology or working with trauma with difficult adverse life experiences is the concept of post traumatic growth that when we've been through something difficult that we can grow and develop and it's not to say that the hurt has uh, completely gone away you know some of these things we probably carry with us for forever after and I wonder depending on how personal you want to get about your recovery journey. But I know it's been part of that hurt, part of that healing that has then helped you in into the helping. So can you tell the listeners a bit more about your recovery journey? Yeah, so I got into, when I say recovery, I predominantly am talking about 12-step recovery, which is a specific model. Um, AA is the most sort of famous one. Um, I joined a different fellowship than than AA. There are lots of them. But recovery can also mean just just healing. I believe that I'm trying to recover the, the part of me that knows that I am lovable and I am enough. That's what I'm trying to recover um, and bring that part of me more front and centre into my life and how I am day to day. But I was, I was sort of lucky, although I didn't know it at the time, because I had a big breakdown when I was 22 and I found therapy and I found recovery groups which is what I talk about which yeah really changed my life and saved me in lots of ways not not protected me from other really hard things happening but just gave me a framework 
to start to understand myself better and to start to understand how some of what my parents had been through and were going through was impacting me to start to understand how I I self-sabotaged and how I had lots of behaviors that I did that weren't giving me the results that I wanted but actually were brilliant survival tactics up until that point so perfectionism is a great example of that it's a brilliant survival tactic if you grew up in a critical home like it makes total sense if you grow up in a critical home you're gonna try and be perfect to avoid criticism so it works it's really effective until I got into the real world and yeah just got totally burnt out from perfectionism so that behavior serves a purpose until it doesn't and I was just really lucky I think that I got to start to look at some of those things quite early on and yeah so I would say I've got a really good handle today on what those coping behaviors are for me and the thing that really rattles me around motherhood is that they all came back louder than ever before. Um, even though I thought I'd done, you know, lots of awareness work, lots of change work, like lots of pausing, doing something different, lots of, you know, rewiring meditations, tons of it. Yeah, and then I became a mum and the perfectionism came back louder than ever before. So did the control, so did the fear. So did the micromanaging, all of those lovely coping things that I used to do to try and navigate the world when I didn't know any better. It's like a roadmap. Like I, you know, my parents were incredible, but they didn't have the gift of therapy or understanding their trauma or so they just give me a a roadmap to life, which was brilliant. It enabled me to survive, but that's really all it enabled me to do. I didn't really understand how to access joy or peace or... Mm any of the emotions that I'm able to experience today. So yeah, I started to I started to develop a different roadmap for me. Yeah. And then when I became a mum, it was just it was fascinating to me how it was almost like a reset button on that. And I was like, my gosh, this fear is louder than I've ever experienced it, even with all my spiritual practice and everything that I was doing. So yeah, it was really humbling and really grateful for it because it gave me mother kind and it gave me my it gave me my purpose today. But I think, you know, recovery and healing or whatever you want to call it, whatever words work for people, it's ongoing and it's daily. For me, it's not sort of one and done because these behaviors, they're, they're in my cells, they're in my wiring. You know, I'm wired to fear. My first mm. thought will always be fearful and critical. It always will. I think it's just what that second thought is and what that first action is for me. That's that's where the change is. And that's a daily practice. And if I'm tired, which I often am because of the kids, or if I'm stressed, then I've got far less bandwidth. But that's okay. You know, I've really, really developed that that self-compassion muscle. So I'm really able to be kind to myself when I notice like, oh, you're doing it again, you're controlling or you're stuck in fear or you're being trying to be perfectionist. I'm able to just smile at it a bit more. And do you find that perfectionism affects the way you use these tools for yourself as well? You know, being sort of almost critical with how you're not being self-compassionate enough? Sometimes, sometimes. I think, I think, now I'm I'm quite good at noticing what I've got going on, which is why I might be reacting like I am. So that kind parental voice that we're always trying to develop 
in self-compassion work is quite strong in me today. So it'll say, you know, something will happen and that voice will come in and say, you know, Zoe, it's all right. You've got a lot on. You're doing this and you're doing this and, you know, you've got that stress and you're holding that and it's okay. That voice is, that voice is quite strong. I also try not to measure my self-compassion response, as in like that was a good response, that was a bad response. So I try to just see it, see it all as information, um, you know, about, okay, so that's interesting. You're being really harsh on yourself about that. That's why journaling is so powerful. And I know you experienced this when you were working with me because journaling just gives me that reflection to notice what I'm noticing to notice if I'm being constantly critical of myself. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? What, what is this about? I'm really good actually at not criticizing myself for criticizing myself because that's just re-traumatizing myself. <laughs> that's just more of the same. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I, I really try to look at this stuff as light in a light way. Like, isn't mm. it, I'll use phrases like, isn't it, isn't it interesting? that I've gone into that reaction again. Isn't it funny that I've done that again? I, I wonder what's going on for me. I try to avoid language like you should have, can't believe you're still doing that, you're a terrible person. Because what I've really learned is that by shaming myself, that's how I get myself stuck. It's not. There's no freedom or growth in shame for me. So if I want to change something and I want to access that, you know, better place within myself I can't be shaming myself because then I'm just going to get stuck hmm. yeah absolutely it's that shame is the the darkness that we need to shine a light on because otherwise it's just going to repeat those old patterns and if you like you say if you say what's wrong with you you know shouldn't you know how to be kind to yourself by now you've done all of this work the inner work then that's more of the same and this is why I think the key word that stood out for me when you were talking is practice this is ongoing work yeah. in progress. It's practice, practice, practice. And people might say, oh, you're so good at being th- doing this or doing that. No, it's not, I'm, it's not about being good or bad at it. It's practice. And it's a practice like a yoga practice. Some days it's easy to roll the mat out. Some days you really don't want to do it. Um, and that's okay too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think you're so right. Telling ourselves that we should know that by now is just is more of that self-sabotaging behavior into what you're trying to change which just it just doesn't it just doesn't work and that's why it's daily like that you know my brain is wired I think this way my brain is wired to Mm. sabotage myself and criticize myself and Mm. be hard on myself so I have to take responsibility for that I don't Mm. blame anyone for that. It kind of is what it is. But I do have to take responsibility for it, particularly if I want to change the cycle going forward. Then it's extra hard work because it's like I've got to catch myself. (laughs) So I then don't criticize my children. Hmm. Because we know that the more that we criticize ourselves, of course, the more likely we are to criticize others. So, yeah, it's daily. I try to keep it quite light. I try to keep it quite curious about myself. I really, really try and use journaling to give myself that observational skill of what might be going on, what might be going on for me. Can you tell us a bit more about your journaling there? I journal every day very imperfectly. So not every day, basically, but my intention is to always journal every day. And I ask myself the same questions every day, which is the questions, Michaela, that I 
shared with you when you were yeah. with me, which is just accessing, accessing some gratitude, accessing some perspective, accessing some insight and then some action. And it doesn't take long at all, sort of 10 minutes a day. For me, it's the best investment that I can make in myself yeah. is that, that 10 minutes a day of, of observation because otherwise I get so wrapped up in just going busy, going busy, and I can't see what I'm doing. I can't see the wood for the trees. I can't see what's important to me. And you know, I really passionately believe that, particularly as parents, we have to know what's important to us. Mm-hmm. What is the stuff that you're going to get het up about? And what is the stuff that you're just going to be able to let go? But I believe without that perspective, it's really hard to do that. And that's why so many of the mothers that I see and work with are just stressed all the time. They're overwhelmed all the time because there's not that clarity what is really important to me? Where am I going? What are my values? What are my boundaries? Where am I draining my energy? All the stuff that we worked on together. Yeah. And I think when you when you can get that clarity, it doesn't make life easier. It's still really hard, but it makes the hard stuff more worth it because we're not sort of just running around hamster wheeling our way sort of unconsciously through life. That's why journaling, I think, is just, it's just for me, it's like magic. I absolutely love it. It's not for everyone. So some people don't like the writing part. Well, then I would encourage them to voice note themselves or speak something out or, you know, go for a walk and speak it to the trees. But any way that you can get that perspective is really important. The other thing that's really cool with journaling, and I know you found this, is that the more that you sort of write and go into it, the deeper the insights get. And if ever I've got a problem, I'll just grab my journal and just write it through. And every single time without fail, there will be a new, a new insight, a new idea, something will come of it. So for me, it's like free therapy. I just think it's it's brilliant and it's really accessible for mums. You can take your notepad to the park, you know, when the kid's on the swing and have a quick jot down or whatever it is. It's not asking for like hours of therapy a week or, yeah, some of the things which aren't accessible. Mm. So yeah, I feel I feel really passionate about journaling. I love it. Yeah, I've, I found it really helpful as well that the way that you teach journaling in in your coaching is also quite structured which works quite well for people who have that sort of slight being counter mind you know people who are perfectionists they can be quite detail orientated and they can be very worried about doing it wrong quote unquote and there is no wrong in journaling but having prompts can get you uh, unstuck to get you started and kind of hinging almost like a structure to it can mean that you know at least I know what I can go back to do in my journal later on and I find that now that I do it so regularly I have done it every single day since we started working together is that I don't even necessarily need to go to the journal and sit down I can be like what would I ask myself if I sat with my journal right now and it's that this that distance it's that perspective the space between you and the thought so that you like you said first thought second thought action yes we can't have the first thought I can't have my first thoughts either people assume that because we're sort of experts in this space we don't have any negative thoughts or don't get this stuff uh little trolls in our mind and we do it's just that we we can think about how we relate to it differently yeah I think that's the only difference it's just I know that I've got a choice yeah and that is genuinely the only difference I think with me having done all these years <laughs> of, <laughs> of therapy and healing and coach training and now having the opportunity to coach others and the privilege of that is that I I do genuinely feel like I have way more of a choice over where I put my time, where I put my intention, 
what thoughts I listen to, what thoughts I don't listen to. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't, I sometimes still make absolutely the wrong choices, but that's okay too. There's no sort of, you know, it's not about being perfect about this stuff. Like you were sharing, that's Hmm. more of the same. It's, it's just noticing, like if I make a choice that perhaps wasn't the best for me, like I, you know, one of the things I still work on a lot is speaking up, speaking up. So sometimes if I make the choice to stay quiet. I'll just notice that. Okay, notice how you did that, Zoe. Notice how you didn't speak up then. What's the impact on you? Feel resentful. Okay, that's not good. So then sometimes I'll go and, you know, amend that behavior. So I might go and find my husband and say, you know, that I just went really quiet then. Actually, there's something that I want to say. Or if I don't want to do that, I still feel like I'm in that shut down, traumatized child place. I will just be really loving to that child and just think, okay, I'm just not in a place where I'm able to access my adult right now. I'm probably really tired. I'm probably really stressed. That's okay. Tomorrow's another day. You know, just bringing that compassion to all of it, I think is really, really important. And knowing that when you are out of bandwidth, it's much harder to practice these things that we know are helpful or it's going to shift us out of it. And it's okay to not always do that. It's okay to not always use all the tools in the moment. It might be that you need to sort of sometimes sit and suffer for a bit before you realize actually there is a choice, there is another thing to do. And I I don't want to sit and suffer anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I said said that to someone the other day. I was like, I'm still doing this thing. And she's like, that's cool. You just haven't had enough pain yet. And I was like, it's true. It's true. When I've had enough pain with it, I'll I'll change it. I, I'm quite spiritual, so I, I you know I really believe that everything happens right on time. I believe that I see I'm meant to see what I'm meant to see when I'm meant to see it. And mm. you know, it's like trying to get a flower to grow by pulling it out of the soil. It does not work. I have to trust in the timing. I have to bring an ease to my life. I can't control. Mm how I am I I can just do what I can do and I would say that I use the tools that I teach about 30% of the time Mm. and that's great that's really good to me I'm like that's amazing and and I've spoken to people amazing teachers who are like yeah for me it's about 10% I'm like okay fantastic so I think it's easy to look at some of these people like you said who are teaching this stuff and living in this world and think that they are nailing it and using their own things 100% of the time. That never, ever happens. I spoke to Dr. Shafali, who's, well, Oprah said she was the most important parenting teacher of our time. And she was like, when she was talking about teen, parenting her teenage daughter, she was like, I am flawed most days. And I was mm. like, wow, like, this is the most profound parenting teacher of our time who's telling me that she is flawed most days by parenting. So I think it's just remembering that, like, it's amazing to access conversations like these. And it's amazing to be on Instagram and read the, the content. And I love it. But I also have to remember that, yeah, like, there's no way that anyone can apply all of these tools all of the time. That's just not, it's just not possible. So I think it's just being realistic, being compassionate, but also just having the intention of having self-awareness, just the willingness to have self-awareness. Just the thoughts, like, oh gosh, I wonder what's going on for me there. And if you're a parent, like, I wonder what I would want to pass on and what I wouldn't want to pass on. And even mm. asking that question, even asking the question is unbelievably exciting to me. You don't even mm. need to have the answers. So, yeah, I think it's just 
it's doing it all with a bit more ease and lightness, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that that aspect of not having sat with the pain for long enough is a very true one. I used to see that a lot when I worked with adolescents, that there was a resistance and a reluctance around change because they hadn't suffered for long enough. Whereas often when you work with someone who's in their 30s or 40s, they've you know had decades of this stuff and they feel like, I want to break these patterns now. I don't want to carry this on. And the biggest pain for someone who becomes a parent can often envision is what if I pass things on to my child? What if I cause them pain? That is then an immense pain for me. And this is why we often see people wanting to address fears, anxieties, uh, negative patterns when they become parents, because that pain is inconceivable. The fact that I might, you know, quote unquote, fuck up my children. And you won't. <laughs> That's not how it works. Yeah. But I wonder if we can think a little bit about that, about the sort of generational cycles, because I know you're really passionate about that work. Yeah, generational cycles, I... I really became interested in when I became a parent. Well, I'd really been interested before I became a parent in how the generations before me had impacted how I was showing up in the world. Because I could see all of my adaptations and I could see that they were a response to the caregivers around me. And when I first started to realise that, like there was an anger that came up when I realized, gosh, I am like this because I am responding and, and molding my shape around your unresolved trauma, meaning my primary caregivers. But someone really wise said to me, you need to look back at the generations above your parents, because what you will see is that they were trying the best with what they had. And I did that. And that's absolutely what I saw. I just saw that down the generations, as I believe there are in pretty much all families, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of trauma, there was a lot of addiction, there was a lot of mental health challenges, there was a lot of suicide, there was a lot of darkness through my mum's side and my dad's side. And when I saw that, it was a really seminal moment in my life because I realised that my parents were incredible. I realized that actually they had shifted the dial in so many ways. And I believe that we just do that every generation. We just, if we're lucky, shift the dial a little bit every every generation. And it unlocked so much compassion and any anger or blame that I had towards them utterly dissipated. And I just saw them as two people trying their absolute best who adored us. And yeah, it was, it was really, really, really profound. And I totally think I'm going to mess up my kids. I think we all do. I think we all do, but hopefully I'll do it, you know, in a different way, <laughs> you know, and, and I, because Guy and I talk about therapy, that's my husband. We talk about therapy so openly in our house. We talk about our insights and therapy over dinner you know, my girls will just know where to go. It's impossible yeah. to parent and not to have some unintended consequences on our children. It is impossible, I think, to, to do that. And, and, and all the experts that I've spoken to in the field would, would say the same. So I think it's just taking that pressure off, isn't it? It's like, I'm just going to try to be aware of what my patterns are. I'm going to try my best to notice those patterns when they're coming up, whether it's perfectionism, fear, control. For me, a big one is um, keeping quiet when I should speak up, not being empowered enough in my life where I need to be. These are really big patterns for me. 
So if I could be aware of those and talk about them openly, I talk about it really openly so -hmm. that the girls can see. Um, I'm also really good at amending to them if I, you know, did something that I didn't think was in line of how I, how I want to show up in the world, I apologize. And so I feel like generational trauma is, is, is absolutely fascinating. And there's an amazing book called It Didn't Start With You by Mark Willen, who's been on the podcast. And that unlocked a lot for me because it absolutely gets passed down the generations, these patterns. But it doesn't mean that we have to put all that pressure on ourselves. A couple of years into the podcast, I would say I was putting too much pressure on myself because someone said to me, ah, you're the transgenerational cycle breaker in your lineage. And I was like, I am. And I loved thinking about that. But then I realized there was so much pressure with that. People were like, you're the one that's into the healing. You're going to stop it. It stops with you. And I actually even wrote a book proposal called It Stops With You. And thank goodness I didn't take that any further because the pressure of that was just too much for me, to be honest. And it's also unrealistic. So, (laughs) yeah, now I see it as like I am doing my very best, like every parent does. And I'm aware of what my patterns are. I'm aware of how those have got passed through the generations. I talk about them really openly. Maybe that's the healing that I'm bringing to this generation is the openness. And maybe the next generation will bring more healing. I don't know. No control of that. But I think it's that double-edged sword of learning about transgenerational trauma and how actually it gets passed down and how it works. And it's fascinating, but also not putting all of that pressure on myself to be this sort of to hold all of that. Um, Because it's a lot to hold, you know, down my down my female line, particularly, there's so much trauma, I can't hold all of that, and try and alchemize it and pass it just too much It's too much. I do my best in little ways. So that's where I'm at with transgenerational trauma. But like all of these things that are deep and complex and moving and new studies are coming out every week, really, about it, it, my view will change in a year. And that's okay, too. Because I'm I'm learned yeah, because I'm learning and changing and like we all are. Yeah, it's the mind of the eternal student that if you are gonna put that pressure on yourself to be the, you know, the trauma Jedi that sort of breaks the lineage, I wonder if paradoxically that would have the polar opposite effect because you hold you you're gonna run out of bandwidth and then you would start to act ineffectively, not like the mother you want to be, because you're putting so much pressure on yourself to fix quote unquote everything that's that's happened previously that was not your fault uh so the more we hold this a bit lightly the more we can act like the person we want to be in line with our values but the more we put a pressure on this hold tightly actually it doesn't work yeah exactly i think i try and think about and when i'm working one-on-one with someone on this from a coaching perspective not a therapy so they very much direct and you've witnessed my coaching you know they very Mm. much direct where we go with it but One of the questions that I'll sometimes ask people is, you know, if there was one thing that you really wanted to change about, you know, your female line or your your line and how that was for you, if there was one thing, what would that what would that be? And I think sometimes identifying it's going to be different for absolutely everyone. For me, it's about trusting myself. I really want my girls to trust themselves. I really want them to be in a situation get a gut feel and know they can trust that. 
And it mm. makes me emotional because I did, I didn't have that. And it's taken me still working on it to have that. So that's something that I try and keep front and center. You know, if I can keep doing that more and more in my life, I know that that's how they will learn it and teach it. And I try to say to them a lot, how does that feel in your body? How did that feel? Did that feel good? Listen to that. Because mm-hmm. my experience was that I would speak a truth and I would say, this doesn't feel right. And that would be almost gaslit. Like, no, that's not, that's not happening. And so mm-hmm. what happened was through no fault of the people around me, they just weren't ready to look at some of the truths that I could feel as a child because children can always feel the truth. So what that, ha- what that experience was for me is that then I just started to not trust my inner landscape. And that is quite a dangerous place, particularly for teenagers to be. It's quite dangerous. And particularly at university, it was very dangerous for me combined with drinking. Um, not trusting myself while drunk was, was, I got in some very dangerous situations. So I am really trying, really trying to teach my girls to stay connected to their truth, stay connected to how it feels in your body. How does it feel in your body? Because the body has all the wisdom that we need to know. So I think sometimes it can be super powerful to choose one thing like that, that mm. you would love to be, to be exploring, getting curious about, learning about, maybe getting some therapy about, maybe finding a specialist coach or you know psychologist in that area and really diving into one thing. I, I think that's more powerful than just you know working on you know 10 things at once which is just overwhelming because we've got everything else right I wish that we could pause life and look at these things but you know the dinner still needs to be made and the uniforms ironed and you know (laughs) it's a lot so I think just just choosing one thing is probably what I would suggest yeah Absolutely. I'm just I'm just sort of laughing as you're saying that because I don't iron the uniforms. That's been one of my things that I do to balance myself is that I just like I just don't iron. Um, and that's fine. Uh, it just means that my, my child goes to school slightly creased, but <laughs> but that's fine. Um, I guess we all try to unpick some of the patterns in our own way and finding that flexibility where they're holding it more lightly. Are you finding that, you know, with everything that you do that you are so passionate about? Are you finding that sort of you have found, I don't even like this word because I think it's an impossible thing, but balance, you know, how do you think about balance or integration between your passion, your purpose, and then your mothering? How do you think about those two different kind of seesaw integrations, if you may? Yeah, I think balance is, is, I don't normally talk about balance because I think, people feel like there's this utopia of balance and you will one day find it and then it will all be fine. And that's not my experience at all. I think it's a constant, a constant flux. I think what I've got right, I'll talk about what I've got right first and then I'll talk about what I'm working on. But I think what I've got right is a container for my work and certain boundaries within that. So for example, I always finish work by 2.30 every day. So I've been asked to do some massive things, but if they're after 2.30, I say no. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a really solid boundary for me because I just want to pick the kids up and I want to not be working. I want to not be doing that juggle bit. Now that has a cost, of course, because it means that it's taken me longer to get my message out. It means that I've said no to some big opportunities. It means, you know, but everything has a cost. It's just being really discerning about what that what that cost is. 
I also am pretty good and boundaried with my phone, which I think is another place where there would be the opportunity for me to really lose myself, mm. particularly around social media, because there's a lot of validation to be had there. There's a lot of addiction to be had there. So I'm I'm really boundaried. I'm really boundaried with Instagram, which again has been the cost. I've grown way slower than I could have done. Then I've seen some of my contemporaries growing because I've just chosen to be super boundaried with it. And that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes, sometimes I find that hard if I'll see other people getting, you know, bestsellers or bigger opportunities because they've grown a bigger platform. But I'm, that's what their, their choice has been that. And maybe they don't have the same, you know, tendency to addiction that, that I do. So I have to just be very respectful of my limits and social media is, is one of those. So I think that's the main way that I would say I've been able to grow something from scratch, you know, during my, that full on season of parenting with little ones is just really using my boundaries and sticking to them and being really intentional about the choices that I'm making and knowing that they have a cost and being able to make peace with that really helps. I think what I'm still working on around balance is probably a presence. So it's one thing putting my phone down and finishing work at half two, but my mind, particularly as, you know, what I talk about is motherhood and I'm mothering every afternoon. So I'll often be like, oh, this just happened. And my experience was this. I'd love to talk to my community about that. I'd love, that would be an amazing post. And I have to just keep remembering, I have to say to myself, you're not working now. You're not working now. If that is an amazing idea, just trust it will come back to you when you're in that workspace. Mm. Otherwise, I think I'd spend my whole time like part parenting, part working on, you know, content ideas and, you know, that sort of thing. So that's something that I still struggle with. And and I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there, because I do know that I'm often also most inspired and creative when I'm not sat in front of my laptop. So that's the sort of ongoing. How do I how do I do that? That's definitely, definitely ongoing. The other thing that I would say is is ongoing is pressure. So I'm quite a high achiever. And I really, whilst I've done quite a good job of accepting the choices that I've made, I still put myself under quite a bit of pressure. Hmm. So I think I need to, you know, someone said to me the other day, why don't you just do the podcast in seasons? Hmm. And then life would be way easier for you because I I do week in, week out. And I was like, no, I can't do that. But then I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute. Why, why not? (laughs) Why not? So I think, I think it's, you know, that, that, that pressure um, Hmm. is, is interesting but and I think thinking about balance one other thing that I need to bring more of into my life is more fun and more things for me outside work and parenting in my marriage and I'd say the pandemic really impacted me with that actually I got totally out of the habit of booking in fun things for just me to do and I'm working really hard at the moment on resetting that so Saturday morning I'd organized with a friend and we went sea swimming together for an hour and that was really good. And then, you know, I've booked horse riding in with just me and a friend. So I'm getting back into it. But I think that's another thing that that's another pat- a generational pattern is that the mm. women down my line tend to forget about themselves and just put themselves at the bottom of the pile and then become sort of angry martyrs. 
And that's really programmed in me to do that. <laughs> and so I have to really take responsibility for that and ask for what I want. Not even ask, like I'm doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have to I have to watch that. That's another thing that I'm working on, working with balance, is that I make sure that my life has work, it has parenting, it has marriage, and it has things that are just for me beyond, you know, all my journaling, all my healing, all my recovery, all my therapy, all of that stuff. Things that are for me that are fun and light and experiential and often in nature. Yeah, that's another thing I'm working on. I really appreciate that honesty because it's it's going to be really helpful for people to listen to this, thinking again, sort of that expert high horse kind of uh, image that I really don't want to send out on on Instagram. That's why I often often don't follow some of the things that you're supposed to be doing on Instagram to have bigger growth and so on, because it just doesn't sit right with my integrity of what I need to talk about. Um, You know, if I'm supposed to be posting on Instagram like three, four times a day, always showing up for stories, how does that sit with my message around finding pause and purpose and play? Like, how does that sit with that when it comes to, I don't know, the... The content I sent out needs to talk about the process of finding this for yourself in your life. And that isn't going to be achieved for me by doing all the things that are sort of like bro marketing or the, the hustle culture I try to avoid. I can't bring the hustle culture to Instagram. So I think I recognized a lot of the things you talked about there around the costs to making a conscious choice to go easier at, at a different pace. Um, and there, there will be other people who have done that but having spoken to some people who've got much bigger um, platforms than I do and hearing behind the scenes how they feel I feel like I made the right decision you know hearing people say that yeah. they're waking up in the middle of the night um, I don't know if anyone watched the, uh, the Joe Wicks um, documentary that he wakes up in the middle of the night trying to answer DMs in his sleep essentially and I just I'm so conscious that these are some of my patterns and I know that the person I am and what I need to thrive is different to what another person needs to thrive. And that means that I have to set these self-boundaries in like you've talked about. So I really respect that, that actually having that wisdom, that insight, that clarity about yourself, that means the self-compassion for you might look very different to another person. And that's okay. That's We can't be prescriptive about these things. I'm wondering, just to kind of draw things to a close, um, we've talked a lot, actually quite a lot about pause, purpose and play in a roundabout way, but I'm wondering if there was any one thing that you would like to part as a, another piece of wisdom for the listeners here, what would be a pressure you would want to take off of them or a permission you would want to give them? What would that be? I think, I mean, it's about parenting because that's sort of the lens that I put on most of my work, but I think I would just give people the permission to not think they have to perfect be a perfect parent and if you're not a parent listening just that whatever you put that pressure on yourself whatever area of your life that is just to give you maybe 10% less of that pressure just to trust a little bit more that you are showing up in the way that you're meant to right on time and that as something is meant to change it will quite naturally probably quite easily because I think it does flow when it's the right time. And I think I've really come to see in my own life, the more trust that we can bring in, just the easier everything is, because then we're not trying to, you know, pull that flower out before it's ready, or, you know, any of the other analogies that are so helpful in this area. I think just bringing that that trust really helps me, really helps me. 
because it just that control takes so much energy so much energy and worry and and when I can just think you know it's happening as it's meant to what's for Mm. me won't go by me you know all the cliches they're cliches because they're true (laughs) um really really supports me and really helps me Mm. Thank you. That's beautiful. And I think you're right there about the cliches that actually they capture human experience. They are, you know, things that are universal. So sometimes we can choose them and turn them into affirmations or sometimes we think actually that's a cliche doesn't work for me. Then what does work for you? What could you journal on? How could you tap into that intuition, that trust that we do get when we spend time with our own thoughts in a way that's slightly more distant, not just believing everything that's in there, but actually tuning into it really thinking about how does this show up for me? How does this feel for me? Does this feel right? Does it feel stretchy? Stretchy is good. Challenge is good. Does it feel overwhelming and too much? Can I pull it back a bit? So I think the the seesaw, the sort of constant sort of calibrations that we have to do, especially knowing our minds. So this has been a really enlightening, powerful conversation. And I could talk to you all day uh, and obviously have been guided by you and your coaching. So if there's anything you want to mention about where people can find you and how one could work with you before we draw things to a close. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat uh, and lovely to work with you as well and getting to know you much, much, much better over the last couple of months. So I, uh, my website is motherkind.co and everything's on there really, but the podcast is the Motherkind podcast. That's the main place that I direct people. We do uh, we do twice weekly episodes, actually. We do a short one on a Monday, which is 10 minutes, and then a long interview on a Thursday, which is normally around an hour. And that's all um, around mothering, parenting, and how we can find more of that calm, comfort, easy space within ourselves. A lot of what I was talking about today is what we cover, but with experts who are far, far more knowledgeable and have far greater depth than me. So that's who I that's who I like to speak to. And then, yeah, I do the group coaching, which is what you did, Michaela. So I'll take a group of women, anything between four to ten women, normally mothers, and we work through eight weeks together a series of of themes and topics we 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 get everybody journaling we get everybody working on what they want to change and how they're going to change it and we hold each other accountable in the group and it's just brilliant i absolutely love it so i tend to do that every couple of months but the the next start dates will be on the website probably september now when we're on the next group so if someone and they, they do fill up quite fast so if someone wanted to register they can do that on the website Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Zoe. It's been a right pleasure. And I definitely think that you have a lot more expert uh, knowledge within you than you might give yourself credit for. So thank you so much. And it was lovely to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the end, dear Pause Purpose Player. I know that if you're listening to this, you probably resonated with a lot of what Zoe said. Maybe you are a recovering perfectionist too. Maybe you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be a good parent, maybe a great parent. And even when I say it's okay to be good enough, you might resist it. You might find it really difficult to tolerate doing things less than perfect. If this is you and you're feeling really overwhelmed by the thought of going into the school holidays or the summer holidays, if you've got younger children than that, do get in touch with me because I have something I think will help. Drop an email to info at thethomasconnection.co.uk. That's info at thethomasconnection.co.uk. And get in touch with me to let me know what you're struggling with when it comes to parenting. And I think I've got something that can help.
Thank you so much for listening and I do hope that you will share this episode to other parents because it's so important to take that pressure off ourselves to be the perfect parent and actually embrace the mess, embrace all the ways where we will occasionally get it wrong and then repair that rupture afterwards. So do share this episode and if you need some more help, drop me an email. And as always, do please take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.